Good morning, church family. My name is Derek, and uh, it's good to be with you as always, and we want to study God's word together here in just a moment. Uh, first, I got a quiz for you. The first sermon I ever preached at Faith Church, what Bible text did I preach? I'm sure you guys, it's all on the tip of your tongue. <laughs> We're not always sure what, what text was preached last Sunday. <laughs> I'm not always sure what I preached last Sunday. Uh, the first sermon I ever preached here at Faith Church was January 15th, 2017, so about 18 months ago. And uh, that was the first of two sermons while I was not even yet your lead pastor, but your candidate to be lead pastor. And the, the scripture passage I chose to preach that day was the passage that we come to in Galatians today. Um, and, there, and I chose that text for two reasons. First of all, it teaches a great, amazing, significant truth of God. I chose the text we're in in Galatians um, 18 months ago to preach as my first sermon here because it teaches us a little bit more about how God rescued us from sin and death, that he rescued us, and that our rescue includes adoption into his family. Uh, so I preached the text because of what we, what we learn about how God's rescued us and, and what we gain as a result of that rescue. Uh, but the other reason I chose that text is because there's a natural connection uh, to this passage, to this topic, and a reason for me to introduce, it gives me an, an excuse back then to introduce my family. So let me show you a picture. Uh, this is uh, September, uh, October or so of 2014. This is my wife Amy and I and our two kids, Kaylin and Trevor. And this was our family uh, in, like I said, September, October uh, 2014, these are the days where we are gearing up to celebrate the third World Series championship in five years uh, for my San Francisco Giants. So those were good times. And then, uh, and then in God's providence, and there's no way I could have planned this, tomorrow, October 15th, marks the four-year anniversary that our family grew from four people to six, that Amy and I went from two kids to four kids. And I could not have planned our sermon series through Galatians and done that intentionally. So that's all God, that that anniversary is tomorrow and that today we find ourselves in this text about our vertical adoption, that our rescue through Jesus includes adoption into God's family and gives me an opportunity to reflect on what my family and I have learned through our experience with what I call horizontal adoption or kind of the adoptions that happen in your families and my families. Uh, here on earth. So, so that was my family um, before October 15th, 2014. And, um, and on October 15th, 2014, as I said, we grew and our family added our two youngest, Mia and Chris. So tomorrow we celebrate, we call it our Olsen-aversary. We, we, we call it, uh, you know, we, we celebrate all six of Team Olsen and, and the significance that each has in our family. Um, because 18 months uh, later, after that, after October 15th, April 1st, 2016, our adoption of Mia and Chris finalized, and that's us in court with the judge, and they are officially Olsons as of that day, uh, April, April 1st, 2016. Um, so here's one more picture to bring it up to current. We love these four. Amy and I have four kids, two through birth and two through adoption, and we couldn't love them more. We love the miracle 
of what God is doing in our family. And I'm not just talking about in the youngest two, but in all six of us. We love uh, the family that God has put together. Um, He's given all six of us forever family. And and while while this time period has included ups and downs and challenges, um, we wouldn't change a thing. And God has formed a family according to his good and perfect purposes for all six of us. He has adopted into our family and he has formed a family and he is working for his good purposes. So what's that have to do with our text? You'll see. Open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 23. Love when you bring your Bibles to church. If you need a Bible, we have one. We will give you one. If you want to check at the Connection Center after we worship this morning, we'd be happy to give you a Bible uh, so that you can keep your finger in God's Word as we study it each Sunday. Galatians chapter 3, and we'll start at verse 23. So this is the same scripture text as 18 months ago, but don't worry, it's not the same sermon. Although, I guess we already covered that no one remembers that sermon anyway, so maybe I should have just dug out my old notes. A bunch of hard work this week, man. Galatians 3.23. Before we jump in there, let me just quickly back uh, back up. Last week in our text in Galatians, uh, the Apostle Paul, leader in the church, was writing to these Christians, these, these churches... And he was saying this in our our passage we studied last week. You started your spiritual life by God's working in you. You started your spiritual life. You started your journey with God because of God's working in you. You were set free from the law. You were set free in Christ. And you were set free from trying to earn or merit God's love. We, 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 this, this was the, 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 the thrust of last week's passage that we're, it's not through our own human efforts that we were saved. And so the Apostle Paul says to us last week, why go back? You started your life with Jesus because of God's working in you, not because of your work. So why go back to that? Why try to keep following Jesus by your own human efforts and power? Why not stay there in God's grace, in God's working Why go back? Why try to perfect yourself by human effort? So if we, followers of Jesus, faith, church, family, if we are free in Christ, if we are free from the law, we don't need religious rule keeping to earn earn God's love, to be accepted by God. So then what's the purpose of God's laws? What's the purpose of of being obedient to God's law? Let's check it out. Verse, uh, chapter three, verse 23. Now, before faith came, this is before Jesus came that we could put our faith in him for rescue. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian. This is the role of the law prior to Jesus' arrival to rescue us. The law had this guardian role in our lives. It revealed our sin. It convicted us of a sin. It showed us how we fall short of God's holiness. And, And it pointed out our rebellion against God. And it pointed us to the rescuer. 
pointed us to our need for a rescuer. And so it was our guardian. It was the law that was kind of keeping us in line so as best it could and showing us a way to more holiness and making it clear to us that we fell short. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified or made right with God by faith in Jesus. But now that faith has come, you are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all, what? Sons of God through faith. Now that faith has come, you are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. John Stott, a a pastor, theologian, author, wrote this. It's on the screen. What the Christian life is not is a bondage to the law as if our salvation hung in the balance and depended on our meticulous and slavish obedience to the letter of the law. As it is, our salvation rests upon the finished work of Christ, on his sin-bearing, curse-bearing death embraced by faith. Our salvation is not about our works, it's about the work Jesus has already done. So let's look at verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Keep your finger in God's word there, and here we go. Chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. This phrase, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, um, has, has a variety of ways we could look at it. There's some different senses that we could see it right here. Uh, this being enslaved to the elementary principles of the world would certainly include what we've been talking about in recent weeks, being enslaved to the law, being enslaved to a legalistic following of rules as if we could earn God's love. We were enslaved to that. There's also a sense in which we are enslaved to the principles of the world, to things in our world, in our culture, that that we turn into gods. Idols, uh, we we sometimes refer to them as idols. Things that we, we have in our worlds that we worship as God, or we allow these things to replace God in our lives. Power, money, sex. What is it that takes the place of God in our lives? What is it that we we focus on and worship and, and idolize that, that takes its, the, the place that God should rightfully have in our lives. These are things that we are enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And the way that phrase is written in your Bibles also has demonic undertones. There is a spiritual, a real spiritual battle at, war, at work between the forces of evil and between our great and glorious God. And while we know who already has won and who will ultimately vanquish the evil one forever, there is this struggle now between evil and and good. So this phrase that we were enslaved to to the elementary principles of the world has a sense of which, uh, of of this spiritual battle. And the evil one, Satan, would love us to be and remain enslaved, stuck, 
unable to live for Jesus, unable to obey God because of his work in our lives. Verse four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. This is glorious news to those that were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And, and if you were here with our, with our church family last Christmas, we did a three-part Christmas series called Adopted. And this was our theme text because doesn't that sound like Christmas? God sent forth his son. So here we are, it's a little early and I'll still say Merry Christmas Faith Church because we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, verse four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to rescue those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. God sent forth his son, Merry Christmas Faith Church, to rescue and to adopt you into his family. Now, I've mentioned this before. Ladies, don't be put off by the term sons. Yes, you're included. Yes, we could think of this as children of God. But in a, in a little bit, a little bit later, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about why it's a good thing that the, specifically the word sons is being used. Okay, so don't be put off by sons. Yes, men, women, children of God, those things are true. You're included. More on that later. Before we proceed, let's be clear about how we become part of God's family. We are not born into God's family. We don't start our earthly journey in God's family. Yes, created by God. Yes, loved by God, but not born automatically into his family. With me so far? We are not Christians. We are not followers of Jesus by our physical birth. We are not followers of Jesus because of where we were born. Whether we were born, just because we were born in a Christian country or into a Christian family does not make us followers of Jesus. We are not followers of Jesus because we come to a church on Sunday mornings. We don't earn God's favor by our obedience. When God determined to rescue a people for himself, when God purposed to save us from enslavement, when he lovingly worked to bring us into a family, you know how he chose to do it? Adoption. Adoption. He chose to do it through adoption. Look again at four and five. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption, this theological concept of adoption, the adoption that the Bible teaches is an act of God by which we become members of his family. We can put that on the screen. Adoption is an act of God by which we are adopted into his family. God, through Jesus, not only rescues us from trouble, from sin and death, he also makes us part of his family. Now, let's, let's sit there for a second. Follow me on this. God, 
through Jesus, not only rescues us from, from trouble, we were in danger, apart from God, destined for hell, enslaved to sin, in dire circumstances, right? Not only does God's salvation through Jesus Christ get us out of a difficult situation, he didn't stop there. He didn't just solve our legal problem. He didn't just forgive our sins and say, okay, I won't take it out on you anymore. That those are all amazing truths that we need in our rescue. But God didn't stop there. He didn't just solve our legal problem. He didn't just get us out of our dire circumstances. He then put us into family. He rescues us from sin and death and makes us part of his family. There's not only a, a legal, practical rescue from the danger and consequences we were in, but there's a relational component. We have a God who doesn't just solve the problem, but brings us into his family. And I love the side note that even, even in his plan to adopt us, how did God do so? In bringing Jesus to earth, God gave him an adopted human father, Joseph. So God's adoption plan for us even included adoption. Um, God has given Amy and me the privilege and, uh, and the amazing opportunity of being mom and dad to four kids, as I said earlier, two by birth and two by adoption. Um, and yes, what, what I refer to sometimes, as I said earlier, as a horizontal adoption, as, our, as, the, uh, as the experience of, of adoption that we, many of us in this room have experienced foster care and adoption in an earthly plane. So what I call horizontal adoption. Yes, uh, the, Mia and Chris's horizontal adoption meant that they were plucked out of difficult circumstances. Yes, God's rescue of them included uh, removing them from difficult, unsafe circumstances. But God didn't stop there. He put them in a family. He didn't just solve the problem and then say, okay, you're good. He solved the problem. He brought them out of danger and then gave them a family. And coming out of difficult, unsafe circumstances while necessary still includes sorrow and loss and pain and brokenness that we would not choose or wish upon anyone. But God rescues and puts in a family. And I have, have, I've had great, we, Amy and I have had great conversations with Chris and Mia for four years. And I had great conversations just this week leading up to teaching this text. And you know what? They know it. They know they got a family. They know they needed practical rescue. They're very aware of the, of, the, of the difficult, unsafe circumstances that, yes, they did practically need help getting out of, but they are very much aware of the fact that God, 
through horizontal adoption, also gave them a family. So I love that our horizontal adoption has given us rich uh, insights and appreciation for the amazing truths of our vertical adoption as followers of Jesus, that we are children of God. And so those things I just described, I described because I want you to picture yourself in the same way. Not only through Jesus have you been rescued from sin and death, forgiven of your sin and your, your legal problem made right, your legal standing before God solved, Those are amazing truths, but not only that, God through Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, has rescued you and brought you into a family. And do we know that part? Do we live that part? Do we embrace that part? Do we we understand the greatness of God's love for us because he's brought us into a family? Verse six, back back to Galatians, chapter four, verse six. And because you are sons... Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Followers of Jesus, one of, of the, one of the proofs that you're a follower of Jesus is that you receive the spirit of God, God's spirit living within you. And, and look what verse six tells us, that the spirit of God living in us helps us to relate to the father and to relate to God as father that we have the privilege in Jesus of relating to God in the same way that Jesus relates to God. We get that part. We go, wow, Jesus, son of God. He gets to call God Abba, Father. Not only Jesus, you and I, followers of Jesus, brought into a family by God's spirit, able to address the great and mighty creator of the universe as Abba, Father. We have a perfect and loving father. We are not on our own. We are part of a family. And so here's where I think it's important for us to consider what is the church? What is, what is this? And we say it often around here that church is not an event. It's not Sundays at 9 a.m. Church is not a building. It's not this physical building at 2290 East, East West. What are we? East Ellendale. We say it often, church is not an event, church is not a building, and church is certainly not a business. Church is family. Church is the people of God joined together and, and joining God's mission. People gathered together, family, joining in what God is doing. And and this, I think, can be such an insight for us into what it means when we gather as a church family. Yes, certainly on Sunday mornings, but on Sunday mornings in our two worship gatherings, we're a large group of people. So especially when we make the church a little smaller by being part of a group within our church, a gospel community, we've got Tons of you right now connected to these groups called gospel communities. And, and, And part of the fun of these is I want these groups that we're in right now to just scrape the surface of what God could do through them and what these gospel communities could be for us. Um, Families do what? Families have fun together. Families laugh together. Families spend time together. Families eat together. This is what our gospel communities are and can be. 
What else, how else then, if, if church is not a business or an event or, um, or just a building, then how else does that show us what we should, how we should interact with one another? If church is family, what else do we need to be reminded? I think we need to be reminded that family members don't, uh, or at least shouldn't, just leave with no notice. If you're, if you're not going to show up at a family reunion, I'd like to think you called and told somebody you weren't going to be there. And we can't just get out of family. Your, your biological family, there, there isn't that, there's, not just like a, there's not just an easy out. Church family, if you're a family and if you're committed to this church family, don't just leave without notice or communication with those you love. Family shouldn't gossip, backbite, grumble. Church family, would you speak to each other directly? In 18 months as your lead pastor, if I had one piece of advice that would make a world of difference in how our church gets along, it would be to go to the person and talk to them. Do you hear me? Because I love you. Go to them and talk with them and see what a world of difference it makes. And if that doesn't work, then get help from other church family. Okay? Family shouldn't just point out problems, but look to be part of the solution. Family shouldn't exclude other family members, but lovingly include everyone. And I mean everyone. Does your family have a goofball? Mine does. Maybe I'm it. Does our church family have goofballs? Yes. Maybe I'm one of them. We include. We love. We care for our whole family. Does, does your family, does your, your, your family of origin, your biological family, whatever you want to call it, have someone that requires a little extra grace to get along. So does our church family. So do I. Family members have each other's backs. We're there for each other in the ups and downs of life. We strive to maintain good relationships. And we look out for the best of the whole family. So, if church is not an event, a building, a business, if church is family, how else, does it, how else does it inform what we do as a family? And I think there's a couple of more important things to say. Church, so-called church business, is actually family business. Something that we do together, something that we care about. Church work is family work. If, there's, if there are chores to do, if there is work to, that happens that, that make the family able to operate and able to get by day to day and able to have the things in place that are needed, it's family work. It's not the work of 20% of the family. It's a shared project. It's a shared process. And so I want to make sure that you know, and many of you know this because you serve selflessly behind the scenes and, and, and up front in many ways and many hours. And so you know that, fam, that, that, that church work is family work. But I want to make sure the rest of you know that you are needed, 
that Paul, that, that our Bibles use the metaphor of, of the body and that every part of the body is important and needed and that if one or, or more parts of the body are, are not participating or not functioning or not healthy, then the whole body is affected. Church family, those of you attending Faith Church, you are needed. And you know what? We're gonna start with this and I think it's a pretty easy ask. I think it's a pretty mellow ask. If you're not already serving and finding a way for this church family to function, if you're not already doing church work as family work, we're just gonna ask you to consider serve one time a month somewhere. Could you give us one chunk a month that makes this family function, that helps us do what we need to do, that helps us complete the mission that God has given us to, to do. What does one time a month look like? And we have needs all over the place. Our usher team needs new ushers. We need new techs, video and sound techs. We need those that serve in children's ministry. We need those to care for you in our students and youth ministry. We need hospitality help with food and prep and things that go on for our Sunday mornings. We need many hands to move chairs on Sundays and on Fridays and many more that I could list. One time a month, where, where might God want to put you as that, as that part of the body? serving in a ministry opportunity for the glory of Jesus. Um, and I got a goal. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna ask us to set a goal. I have a goal for the end of this year, for the end of 2018. And this would be an incredible Christmas present for Debbie Davies, our minister to children and families on our staff team. What if in the next 10 days, the children's ministry schedule was full through 2018. What if we didn't need Debbie to be looking for help every Friday, Saturday night, and Sunday morning 30 minutes ago and risk not having a K-1 class right now? She's in there so that we could have a K-1 class. And I, I'm not talking to those of you that serve regularly and are committed to our church. I'm asking those of you that don't yet realize that God wants to use you one time a month. It would make a tremendous difference. And just in case we're thinking, oh, you know what? Those six people that always do children's ministry, I'm sure they love it and are still doing it. You know what? It's not six, it's 28 people every Sunday. 112 a month. So what if between now and Christmas, what if in the next 10 days we just talked with Debbie, we got signed up, and we filled out the schedule? I think that'd be awesome. And that means that those of you that are already approved to serve in children's ministry, you can sign up, and it means those of you that, that could give one time a month to children's ministry need to touch base with our office or touch base with Debbie and let us get you uh, signed up and approved and, and then let's add to that team and let's have it be family work and let's have it be taken care of so easily because uh, many hands make light work. Okay? Church finances are family finances. There's another area. We all give generously to support what God is doing here. And, uh, and while we are a, a little behind where we need to be at this time of year, uh, there is some good news that we're not as far behind as we thought. There's been some unusual factors and actually a misunderstanding on my part as a, 
as kind of a rookie leader um, that caused us to think we were in a little bit further behind than we thought. So there's good news. Um, we are, but we want to just continue to ask you this. If this is your church home, family fin- uh, church finances are family finances. And so we need each of you to contribute what God gives you to contribute. And, uh, and we're doing well in that, in that way. And so we thank you for your continued uh, cheerful and generous and sacrificial giving. Uh, again, if this is your church home, that's part of being a family. And then you saw the members up here a few minutes ago, uh, people that had just become members. Um, and we talked about that two-way commitment. Church is family, so I would invite you to belong, to commit, to, to not be satisfied with coming and going on Sunday mornings and not really knowing anyone. I would invite you to become part of the family. If this is where God has you, say, I'm in. This is my church home. I believe in what God's doing here. I want to be part. So we'd love to see, uh, we'd love to answer any questions if you have about membership. And in fact, in a month from now, there's another uh, membership lunch and an opportunity to just find out what membership's all about. All right, verse seven. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Followers of Jesus are, are sons, not slaves. And here's what I was saying earlier to you ladies. Don't be offended by being included in the term son. Because in the times this was written, daughters were not able to be legal heirs to an inheritance. Sons are heirs. So you ladies being included as sons of God, are, are, that's, that's great news. That's all of us being included as sons of God, as heirs with Christ to a glorious heavenly inheritance in the future. So we are sons, not slaves. We are heirs with Christ of that future inheritance. Galatians, the Galatians that that Paul is writing to here, they had been slaves. Listen to this, friends. The Galatians had been slaves. They had been made sons. And they were trying to go back to being slaves. They were acting like they they wanted to go back to being slaves again. It doesn't make sense. It's preposterous. To do that was a denial uh, of what God was doing through Jesus. And so what can you and I do then to avoid the Galatians' folly? How do we, who were enslaved, who have been made sons, who have been adopted into God's family, how do we then avoid that folly of going back to slavery? How do we lean into being children of God and not make that mistake that the Galatians made? We've said this in the last couple of weeks. We preach the gospel to ourselves. Let me ask you, is the gospel of Jesus good news to you? Is it good news to you? Has, has the gospel of Jesus changed everything? Has the fact that Jesus lived and died and rose again and made it possible for you to have new life in him, has that captured your heart? Does that give you excitement and enthusiasm and love for God? We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. If, if, if the gospel is not good news to you today, if it was just good news back when you became a Christian and now it's kind of lost its luster, then you need to hear the gospel again. 
You need to preach the gospel to yourself. We need to read the Bible. We need to hear the truths of the gospel. We need to trust the fact that we are sons of God. By God's grace, let's remember what we once were and never return. By God's grace, let's remember that God has made us his kids and then conform our lives to it. We've been, um, we've been talking some in this series uh, about some concepts from a book called Gospel Fluency as we, decide to, as we desire to have God help us to understand the good news of Jesus and what it means to me and if is, it, is it good news to me and if it's good news to me, then I'll have good news to share. And so we wanna become more fluent in the gospel, more understanding and, and be able to speak the language of what, Jesus has, as what, what, what God has done for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so the couple of things that we are going to be talking about in your gospel communities this week are these couple of of really simple thoughts. We talk about what we love. Think about if that's true in your life. When you're with family, friends, coworkers, fellow students, don't you talk about things you love? We, We talk about what we love. I love the weather in Oregon where I had to wear a coat and a beanie this morning and this afternoon I'll be in shorts and flip-flops. I love the weather in Oregon, so I talk with all of you about the wacky weather in Oregon. What is something that you love? What's something that you talk about? Um, Think about it right now, what is that thing? What is a hobby, a passion, an interest? What is it you love doing or being part of or learning about and think about how do, you, how do you talk about it? Where do you find yourselves sharing facts about it? Asking other people to join in with you. I need to ask myself, am I a, as much an evangelist, a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus as I am an evangelist for the San Francisco Giants? Because I sure talk a lot about the Giants. Do I talk about my love for Jesus? I frequently sing the praises of my wife. I love my wife. She's an amazing person. So I talk about her all the time and brag on her and thank her and encourage her, I hope. But Jesus has transformed my life from the inside out. Do I talk about Jesus with people around me? We talk talk about what we love. And then we also, we love what we talk about. That's the second one. The first one is we talk about what we love. The second one is we love what we talk about. You want to increase your love for Jesus? If the truth of the gospel is kind of, has kind of paled or you've kind of lost that joy that you had when you first became a follower of Jesus and you, and you want to you follow him wholeheartedly and you want to live your life for God, Talk about Jesus because you'll love what you talk about. And what would we talk about? We'd talk about this, that we've been rescued, made new, declared not guilty, and adopted into God's family. Let's talk about those things. Let's ask God to impress on us the glorious truth, that glorious truth that we are are children of God into our hearts, and and then let's ask God to help us live lives that can't help but share that good news.
Father God, we are so thankful that you are Father. We are so thankful that you are at work in our world and in us. God, that we thank you that we don't have to be slaves any longer, that through Jesus you have made us, you have called us out of enslavement, out of slavery to the law and the elementary principles of this world. God, we thank you that through Jesus we are no longer slaves, but sons, but children of God, adopted into God's family. So we thank you this morning for the cross of Christ. We look to you and we thank you for sending your son. We thank you that Jesus willingly died so that we might live. God, would you, would you make that gospel news, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, would you make the gospel freshly good news to our hearts this morning? Whether we've been following Jesus for a week or for 40 years, God, would you make that gospel, the work of Jesus, good news to us this morning. And God, I pray that as you work in our lives and transform us and make us new from the inside out, I pray that 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 good news would be so good, so great, that we couldn't help but for it to overflow from our lives, to share it with those around us, and to want them to have the family that we have, You've given us family, brothers and sisters in Christ, heavenly father. We want others to have family too. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let me invite you to stand as we are gonna lift our voices in worship through music and our ushers are gonna come in a moment and receive our offerings as well. Let me, let me say this as, we, as I go. I said, how are we gonna avoid, the, you can stand if you're ready. I said, how do we avoid this folly of the Galatians? They, they were slaves, they were set free, they became sons, and, and we don't wanna go back to being slaves. So we preach the gospel to ourselves, and one of the ways we do that is by singing these songs on Sunday morning, by looking at these lyrics, by seeing the truth in the lyrics, and by singing that truth, by singing that gospel truth. Let's believe that in Jesus we are who God says we are, that we are loved sons who are set free. Let's sing that together.